Welcome to the Music Grind Podcast. This is episode five. Welcome back to the Music Grind. My name is Tito, and this is the podcast where I talk to working musicians for some insight into their life and what it's like to be a working musician, a day in the life kind of thing. And uh, you get a chance to see what kind of work we do, different aspects of this job, and the fact that it it actually is a job. Uh, but what does that entail? Well, we talk to uh, we talk to different musicians to find out exactly what it entails for them. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and I'm still working on other methods of distribution. You can find an Instagram account at Music Grind Podcast where I will put um, I will be putting up some pictures and maybe some extra content, but definitely you'll be. Uh, if you're not subscribed on one of those services, you can keep up with the Instagram account and you'll know when stuff goes live that, uh, that you can go listen to. So that's at Music Grind Podcast. And today's guest is Stephen Dornfeld. Uh, Stephen is a pianist, arranger, music director, and an educator. And he's uh, one, of my, one of my good friends uh, here in Florida. He uh, his story starts out with the whole networking theme that that you may have noticed so far, and it, you know this is true in in all our lives, and it, and it's true in his. And he talks about how he gets um, he got certain gigs uh, just because this guy recommended him, and the next guy, and and, and so forth and so on. Now Stephen is unique, <laughs> not just in his playing, but in something else. You'll hear more about it. We'll we'll talk about it. So just please listen in. He talks about something that uh, is unique to him and and how he's managed it, let's say. Uh, so without any further ado, Stephen Dornfeld. You have a... Uh master's degree in jazz studies, a bachelor's degree in jazz studies from UNF. The master's is from FSU. Right. Right. Um, and you've told me, you know, you it was a stressful time, like all the studying, all the pressure you put on yourself, the school puts on you and everything else. Right. But what, so, you know, we've talked about the purpose of this is to showcase cats who are doing this full-time. This is your, this is your gig. You play music full-time. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Um, That's right. How did you start in music? You know, and you're a pianist, so how did you discover music, and how did the piano discover you? Okay. All right. Well, actually, when I was growing up, um, there was a piano in the house. So, so I guess I just gravitated toward it you know, naturally. Yeah. But then when I was about six years old, my parents were like, well, 
Stephen, we'd like you to think about taking lessons, yeah. like your sister. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll think about it. And they came back to me five minutes later, and they're like, well, what do you think about it? And I'm like, I don't want to take, I don't think I'll take lessons. And they're like, well, you're taking lessons anyway. <laughs> so I took piano lessons by default, and it, it just turned out to be my, you know, my instrument, like my favorite instrument. Yeah. Good. Do you, you don't regret it? No, no not at okay, all. Uh, who were your influences? Give me the three influences in music. If they're pianists, great, but just, you know, it can be any instrument, any thing. Okay. Well, I mean, okay, well, let me just tell you when I was growing up, yeah. I was heavily influenced by 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, rock and roll, because that's what my parents listened to, you know, for the most part. And then finally, when I started getting into piano and stuff, um, at first, I, I actually got really into George Winston, who is just an incredible pianist and, and creator himself. Like, he, in fact, uh, just caught a concert of his recently in St. Pete, but he's just amazing. He's, he released um, several albums that have to do with seasons. Mm -hmm. He was like my first, you know, he was the first guy I like transcribed. Okay. You know, and then when I started getting into jazz, um, I mean, I guess I listened to all the guys that you would normally expect, like Bud Powell, Oscar Peterson, Art Tatum, you know, everybody. But then, then in, uh, in school, my teacher turned me on to Benny Green, okay. who is a hard bop pianist. And um, that's a kind of beat, that's like a, uh, sort of like a style that takes from bebop but then adds a lot of soul in it too. So I really liked the hard bop thing, you cool. know. Yeah, and he was one of my main influences. Who are you listening to these days? Oh man. Well, interestingly enough, I haven't listened to a lot of jazz lately. However, I mean, Snarky Puppy yeah. and Jacob Collier are definitely on the radar, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I mean, but really the, the best, I find the best source of like, new guys to listen to is just talking to your friends and finding out what they're listening to. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how, I, that's how you're introduced to most, you know, new people, unless you're just ravenous on Spotify, you know? <laughs> Are you? I am not, actually. Uh, but, but I love suggestions. And actually, because you can get overwhelmed. I mean, you know what I mean? When I was going to school, we didn't have Spotify. We just about had, well, you could be on Napster or whatever. <laughs> but it was uncomfortable. Everybody you know? was on Napster. Yeah. You were uncomfortable with it? Yeah, I never felt good about it, so I didn't do it. Okay. But, you know, so you listen to CDs and stuff, but, um, yeah, we didn't have all those resources, and now, like, you can just get anything online, so it's, it, it can be overwhelming, mm -hmm. which is why I like to get recommendations. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mentioned that you are the pianist, or keyboardist, really. It's not just piano. Keyboard and music director for... Uh, for one of the uh, one of the more successful um, wedding bands here in Florida, so how did you get that gig? After you've you got this after you graduated uh, right. from FSU, how did that how did that happen for you? Well, you know, when I graduated from Florida State, it was it was really a great experience, and then uh, for about you know six months or so, I had to figure everything out. I didn't really have a plan. However, um, it was highly recommended that I audition at um, a theme park or two, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then I, I worked at Busch Gardens for a little while. And then just through being around people in that industry, 
one day my friend, who's a pianist, comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I have this gig I can't do. You know, I was wondering if you could do it. And I'm like, sure, you know, and I had never, I had never played pop music before. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I always, I, actually, I was kind of a, a, pur, you know, a purist in that sense when I got out of school. Okay. You know, um, but then through that experience, like, so I, I did the gig, and that's really where I got some of my first pop music experience, which was really good. Yeah. You know. And then from that one gig, that led to being a part of the band. Right. Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Okay. And then the pianist who, you know, was the guy at the time was like, hey, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Would you be interested in being the main guy? Right. And I was like, sure, you know, I was really excited. And so that's how it came to be. It's interesting because, like, a lot of guys, you know, even if, if you, like, listen to interviews of really famous guys, they're like, yeah, you know, this guy needed a sub or the group needed a sub, and that's how people get into groups. Yeah. You know, that yeah. one time the main guy can't make it, Right. And then you're, you know, you might be in. Right. And that was the case. Yeah. yeah. What did you have to do to prepare? Since you hadn't played pop, what did you do to prepare for that? Cool. So, um, so I was given a CD of the material. And I basically studied it. I mean, it's kind of funny because, like, jazz is really intense and you have to study it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no question. I mean, I guess you don't have to, but it, it helps, you know. <laughs> and And so... Um, I started studying the pop music like I was studying jazz. It has its own feel, you know, its own chord progressions, its own, you know, things like boundaries and and limitations or or freedoms. Right. So you start listening, and then I had to recreate, you know, the sounds on my instrument. Like uh, the actual synthesizer sounds? Yeah. That kind of, okay. Yeah, synth sounds, whatever, you know, organ, piano, Rhodes. Yeah. Synth lead synths and, and pads and things like that. Okay. So that, that was a starting point. I would imagine, so you're talking about like the boundaries and, and you're talking about the specific things in that idiom. Yes. So is it a combination um, of, I need to have the right synthesizer sound, but I also need to play the right notes in the right phrasing. Yes. Yeah, how, how did you work on that? Well, you know what? I, I think by listening to it enough, if you if you have a good ear, if you have a strong ear, and you keep listening to it, you will absorb it. Yeah. You know, you you try playing stuff, you imitate other people's. You know, there's I don't, I mean, there are kind of like solos in pop music, but they're almost like more like features mm -hmm. rather than full out solos. Or well, maybe it is a solo, but you can't like play bebop on a pop tune necessarily. Right. I mean, you can. But then you might get in some trouble later. You, you know. Might, you might be calling a sub. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Right. But, but yeah, um, and, and you try to imitate the best you can, you know, like you said, the, the idiom and everything that goes with that. And believe it or not, it was kind of hard to go from, from swing to straight pop music, you know, which has its own kind of swing, but it's not the same as jazz. You know what I mean? Like where the beat is placed. Right. And did, so did your... Um even though it's different, did your jazz studies, did your upbringing in that, um, what part of that, you know, your, your time in school, how much of that did you bring over to the, the practical experience? Actually, a lot. In fact, um, what was great 
about studying music and especially jazz is that every, everything in jazz was so challenging. When I got to pop music, it was like, oh, this is kind of a relief, you know? I mean, it's, you still have to study, but it's not as rigorous, you know? It's, it is sort of demanding, but in a different sort of way. Um, but really, like, when you study jazz and improvisation, you get ready, like, they, basically, if you study it or if you're in school for it, they prepare you to be in, like, almost any situation. So they put you in situations where you're uncomfortable or situations where you don't know what's going to happen. And then they tell you, you know, what, you know, if you have an instructor or someone guiding you as a mentor, they're like, well, you know, if this happens, you need to decide, are you going to do this or that, okay. you know? So, so, yeah, you take all that experience and those diverse situations because, you know, in school, they just put you in, like, seven yeah. different ensembles at once. Right. Plus private lessons. So would you say that, like, uh, that you had to study? I mean, could you do what you do now without having gone to school? Yes. But the, the one thing that I do appreciate was um, the more... It's not like you want to uh, depend wholly on, on theory, but it was nice having the theory because it made everything simpler. Okay. You know, the patterns... In chord progressions, for example, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, you know, and because because you'd think of jazz tunes and numbers, for example, right? You know, functions of the scale. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, so so this pop tune is just like, you know, one six four five, or you know, one, you know, one three six two five one, or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it makes it a ton easier. Right. Once you see the function of it, yeah. Then. You know, that, that tune, oh, okay, I understand yeah. that song. I it, understand the bridge. I understand. Exactly. Right. And then you can even play it in different keys, you know what I mean? Right. Which, how, Which, how often do you get that? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that's, that's too high. Can we, I mean, really, this is real stuff. I mean, anybody who's worked with, with anyone who's e- either a vocalist or just, or just wants to change the key, you know, sometimes there are people who just are like, oh, let's play it in this key, right. you know? And sometimes, or, or what, if, what if a vocalist is sick? And yeah. then they're like, oh, can we lower it like a whole step? And you're like, okay, you know, so hopefully you're thinking about it in terms of numbers. Right. So you can do that. And it's easier that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, so I've known you many years and, um, you know, and I, I used, to, used to play with you in, in many of those um, wedding and corporate and situations and all that stuff. So I'm looking at you now, and you're not, you're not doing it as much. Maybe you're a little more under control, but you have Tourette syndrome. Yes. You're not ashamed of it. Nope. You know, you can't be. You can't be. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never heard you say that. You can't be. Well, but so tell, yeah. tell me about it. Like, what is exactly, I want, and I want people watching it to know, what is Tourette's, and how has it affected uh, your music or your performance or, you know, that? Yeah, yeah. sure. Well, so... Tourette syndrome is a neurological disorder, and um, they probably have had more research done on it since I've even researched it, but essentially what happens is there's, there's too much of the chemical messages being sent out of the, out of the brain to the muscles to move. Okay. There's too many of those me- um, messages. So what happens is, is these, these extra messages kind of get built up and cause some sort of inner tension, which results in a physical release, usually motor, sometimes for some people, verbal tics, okay. you know, which is what, what a uh, symptom is called, tic. Okay. And, you right. know, and so, uh, and it usually has to do with, with the limbs, you know, arms, legs. 
maybe even the head and neck. Mm -hmm. So that's what it is. Um, how it impacted me, actually, um, okay, so I think everybody who has Tourette's syndrome has to find a way to cope okay. because it can be very difficult. It actually gets worse in adolescence, and then in adulthood it can either decline or stay the same or, you know, do something. You know, it might stay the same, might decline, might get worse, whatever. Some people take medicine for it. But so you have to, you have to find a way to deal with it, right? So it definitely did affect me. When I was eight years old, I kind of quit the piano for a little while because I couldn't sit still at the piano bench. You know what I mean? Like, and there were a couple of reasons for that, but suffice it to say, I didn't know how to channel it. Okay. You know? And after years, actually a few years later, when I was like 12 or so, I wanted to take up the piano again. And probably at that point it was, you know, you had, you had learned how to sit still by that point? You'd figured out how to cope? Yes. It's, it's not so much that I learned to sit still, but I was committed enough to focus uh, okay. to, to get the job done, you know, because I really wanted to play piano. In, in fact, um, I guess it works different for everybody, for, but for me, um, when I do focus, and by the way, it's not that I'm not focused during our conversation. If I do, I take because I am focused. <laughs> no, you're not focused. But when I'm no. extremely focused, uh -huh. something interesting happens. It, the symptoms go away for a short period of time. And I'm really thankful for that because, you know, that allows me to concentrate on the music, mm -hmm. you know, and then play without hindrance. Right. Uh, but I've, I've been on gigs with you where you always seem focused and I, I rarely hear you uh, play a mistake. Um, so you always seem focused, but there are times even in the middle of a passage, you'll go and you'll snap and yeah. you'll have a tick. Uh, right. Is that a, a symptom, or a, not a symptom, a function of you slipping focus for a, a moment? Not necessarily. I mean, it, um, it has to come out somehow. Yeah. That's kind of hard for people to understand because it's involuntary. Right. So, you know, so, so whether I can channel it through my hands and what I'm doing, or if I just have to release it real quick and then move on, okay. you know, it has to happen. So. Gotcha. Yeah. But, so, so you found a way, and you're, you're, I mean, you're a professional musician, full-time professional musician with Tourette's, and it's not, it's not a, a hindrance. You've figured right. out a way. Right. Yeah, I'm thankful to, to have a way because, you know, when you really love to play music, you know, I mean, really, I've, I've seen some incredible stories of people who, who don't let things hinder them from playing music, right. you know, and... Um, I, I never saw, I mean, at first when I was eight years old and I couldn't sit still, at first I was like, well, what am I going to do, you know? But I wasn't too concerned about it. But then I finally had the right attitude after that, you know, when I was older to be like, okay, I'm not going to let this hold me back, you know? That never actually never even crossed my mind. Good. You know what I mean? I mean, I had to fight through it for a little while, but... Sure. Do you but, still have to fight through it? Is this, or it's just like... Thing that you do. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Stressful situations will make it worse. Oh, okay. Which is like tough because more, we, more frequent ticks or more violent or more. Um, both. So yeah. I'm but but mostly more frequent. Yeah. So like when you're on stage, you know, which can be a stressful situation. Yeah. You know. Actually what I found very helpful is actually just not really worrying about everybody else or the crowd or whatever, because I mean they're just you know, they're there and they're watching you and they're observing, you know what I mean? Um, you do your thing. So I try not to think about that too much and just focus on performing the music mm -hmm. and you know everything kind of falls in place. 
you know, rather than stressing out. Yeah, that's good. So, so you're, um, you're a pianist, and this is not your only gig, right? You play other stuff, and you, right. um, I don't know if you're teaching now, but I know you have had students and all. So mm -hmm. what is your uh, work schedule? So a gig typically is, what, four hours of, roughly four hours of playing, but then you have to set up, tear down. So there's time before yep. and after. Sound check. Sometimes, Sound check. Sometimes you're rehearsing right. before the gig, and sometimes you're even preparing the music, you know, before the gig too, or... Right, so that's what I was gonna yeah. ask. What is your work schedule? Well, honestly, on a, on a work day, yeah. I'm working all day. So, yeah. so like, I'll get up, and, um, you know, usually things like, like charts and everything are in place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to make, you know, last-minute charts. Sometimes not. But, and sometimes you just want to run through things, you know, before the gig. But, yeah, when I wake up, my mind's on the work, you mm -hmm. know? So... You know, I get up and I sort of like mentally prepare myself for the day and for the performance. Okay. And then, you know, so then you travel to the gig, then you set up, then you rehearse or sound check. And then you wait a little while for the, you know, for the gig to actually start. And then you play, <laughs> you, you tear down, you pack up. And that, you know, that can sometimes be a 12-hour day. Right. I mean, minus or plus the time it took to drive there. Right, you yeah. Know, if you live far away. Which sure. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you live where, you live where it's nice to live, but there's not a lot of yes. work there. Right. So, Which can yeah. be a ben can be beneficial because then you can get away from oh, work yeah. and clear your head. Yeah, that's, that's why true. I like it anyway. So what? Um, so that's like that's a gig day. What about yes. um, you know for I know for music to be a music director, you're the music director on the day of, but also mm. you know in the middle of the week. Right. Let's say. Right. Um, what does that entail for you? Well, so sometimes I can be spending, depending on how many charts I'm making, you know, and, and what kind of preparation I need to make, sometimes I can, I can spend four or more hours on, you know, any given day of the week making charts or, and, and, or practicing, you know, sometimes. So the, the interesting thing is the more you play, the less time you have to practice. Yeah. But, but playing a lot is good because... You're, you're kind of warm already. Mm -hmm. So then you just need to review the music, you know, make sure that, you know, everything's moving well, you right. know, moving correctly. And it's, it's not as bad, really. You know, but you do need that preparation time. It's super important. What's your work week, typically? Okay, so I work a lot on the weekends. Okay. So actually, sometimes Friday, Saturday, and even sometimes Sunday are full you know, 12-hour days. Sure. You know, music and, and uh, gig driving and everything. And then during the week, um, usually I'll have, like, either Monday or Tuesday off, and then I'll be, like, making charts either on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday even, you know, yeah. and that sort of thing. Right. That's so, so while my week is really open, my regular week, while everyone else is working, my weekends are packed. Yeah. And that's how it's been. That's, yeah, that, that musician schedule is yeah. opposite of everybody else. Yeah, right. And not to mention weeknight gigs, if you, if you have any. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, usually you're playing a four-hour gig, or maybe three if you're lucky, you yeah. know. <laughs> Some people do doubles. I don't know how they can do that, because I've done doubles, and I'm not a happy camper afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess if, you, if you, know? you prepare the whole day and, you know, you have doubles, I mean, that's, yeah. you're up at the crack of dawn in that case. Right. 
And you know what's funny? Like most musicians are, are late night people. I'm mm. an early riser. Yeah. So I go against the grain. <laughs> Does that make you more tired? Like, I mean. Not really. I, I like getting up early. It's very energizing because you, like, you feel like you have a head start on the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what's next for you? Like, what is it that you have? Um, what are you working on right now? Well, I've, I've got some projects in the works. Um, honestly, I, I, have been, I have been teaching a little bit when I can. Uh-huh. You know, see, that's the thing. That's the interesting thing about being a performing musician is you're working so much in so many hours, um, you would love to give lessons, but when do you do it? You know, and hopefully it's when someone's available, you know. Right. So usually that just comes on a um, as-needed basis. You know, if someone's like, hey, I'd really love to, you know, study. And I'm like, okay, you know, we'll work at a time. Yeah. And some, it, sometimes it has to be flexible. But um, I will be teaching more in, uh, in the future now. And I, I really would like to put some stuff together for teaching. And um, I have some other ideas up my sleeve, which... <laughs> which uh, involve writing. Writing new music? Yes. Okay. And I, I have to develop that a little bit, but okay. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Well, where can we stay tuned? Well, I would love to tell you that I, I have a, uh, a feed of some sort, but just Google me and you will find things. Google Stephen Dornfeld. Yep. Okay. And I'll have, I'll have the, your exact spelling. Perfect. Because you get, I know, I mean, I've known you for a little, so you get Dornfield, and that's the yep. most common one I've heard. Yep. Is Dornfeld. Yes. 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 Okay. You know what, you know what's funny? I went to a doctor once. Uh, I, I think he might have been a neurologist or something, or something, and his name was Stephen Kornfeld. <laughs> and like, and he, he, both he and I were pretty amused that we shared, like, nearly identical names. You know? <laughs> one but letter. Yeah, I know, right? One letter, one letter difference. So, so they can look, up, look you up, Google Stephen Dornfeld, mm-hmm. and you'll be able to find whatever your next steps, this secret writing project you yes. have. Yes. Okay. It's under wraps for now. Under wraps. Is that the name of the album? Oh. Under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's okay. So what, um, what advice would you give someone who is aspiring, you know, wants to do this for a career? What, what would you tell them? Okay. Uh, well, you know, when I, was in, when I was in school learning all this stuff, it was like super overwhelming, you know? Like, like uh, so take for example, like a music student who's going to college, like music school, and you're like, oh man, you know, I have four years ahead of me, and you know, I just have so much to do and learn and everything, I would, my advice would be, don't get overwhelmed. Okay. You know, because there's a lot out there, there's a lot of stuff to learn, but, um, one day it'll all come together and make sense, you know? Like you're learning all these, all these different ideas. You're learning, you know, new tunes and you're learning theory and you're learning, you know, you're, you're learning how to interact in groups of people, you know, groups of musicians and, you know, how to play in different situations, all these different things. And you're like, man, you know, I'm working so hard and I'm practicing, you know, is it going to be worth it? And I would say, yes, it will be worth it. You know, just, just keep at it and eventually it will make sense. That's how it happened for you, like one day, I get it, I get it now. Yes, that's exactly how it happened. Like all through school I was like, oh man, you know, I'm just learning all this stuff and and is is it really gonna be useful, you know? And 
it did turn out to be useful. One day, actually, it's funny, like, your ear your, your develops, you know, as you continue studying music. And one day, I just remember waking up and being like, wow, a lot of what I learned makes sense now. You know yeah. what I mean? I didn't know it at the time, but now it, it makes perfect sense, and I'm actually using what I learned. Excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. Cool. Thank you, Stephen, for doing this. Thank you for having um, me. For inspiring the young, uh, the young musicians of the future. Um, and I hope to see you out on the, the gig trail again. Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, there you have it. That was Stephen Dornfeld, a great pianist, arranger, MD, um, living in Florida. And so you heard, you know, he, he goes through some of his, uh, his work week schedule, the gig schedule kind of thing. Um, he goes through like, you know, uh, we talked about the, uh, the education, how he carried that over into the, the real world, the real world of, uh, of playing music. Uh, cause it is different, you know, when you're in a, in university and you're in practice rooms and then you get out on gigs, it, it, it is slightly different. So go check him out. Uh, Google him. Like he said, Steven Dornfeld, um, he's, not incredibly active on social media, but you can still find him and see. Still, um, you can study with him and uh, find him on gigs, mostly on the east coast of Florida these days. But um, I, I think he'll come back to uh, the the Gulf Coast at some point. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. Uh, leave a rating and a review because that helps too. Uh, and, and word of mouth always helps too. If you're enjoying it, let somebody else know and give, send them a link. Um, themusicgrind.com will always get you an episode or several. <laughs> um, and Instagram, at musicgrindpodcast. Um, you know, check it out. Follow, leave comments, share that, uh, you know, whatever it is you want to do. And if you want to send me an email directly, it's musicgrindpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can message me on Instagram as well, and I will get messages there, I believe, if I'm understanding it correctly. So musicgrindpodcast at gmail.com or at musicgrindpodcast on Instagram. So everyone stay well and... Thanks for listening.